0: Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. As we are fond of saying on this program every summer, you grew it, now eat it. Well, not all at once, of course. What are the best ways to preserve all the fruits and vegetables you grow? One of the easiest is drying them sun drying, or using a dehydrator. That's a great way to preserve the nutrients while enjoying the literal fruits of your labor throughout the year. But where do you begin? Today, we talk with a master food preserver about drying techniques for homegrown fruits and vegetables. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutalon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred Podcast, brought to you today by SmartPots. And we'll do it all in just a little over 30 minutes. Let's go. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics podcast. Mark left us a question at the GardenBasics.net website, and Mark has some very interesting fruit trees. Mark lives over in San Jose in the Santa Clara County area, very moderate climate over there south of San Francisco. He says, I'm in the Evergreen Valley. I have a small home heirloom fruit orchard of apricots, prunes, figs. And a variety of peaches. And he has many interesting varieties, too, that are uh, difficult to find, many of which were either developed by Luther Burbank over there in the Bay Area, or were uh, heirloom varieties that were developed uh, in the Santa Clara area. Anyway, he says, after about four to six growing seasons, the orchard has good production, and I'm looking at drying the fruit. I got a dehydrator this year and tried it out with the apricots. They tended to be on the dry side compared to commercially prepared dried apricots. The prunes and figs will be ready shortly. I'll try dehydrating them as well. And Mark goes on, I have a lot of questions. Which better, dehydrating or sun drying? What fruits can be dried? What do the varieties within the fruit type matter? What are the best practices for how to prepare fruit? such as pitting or leaving in the pit? Do you dry the fruit whole or do you cut up the fruit? Is the cut side down or up during the drying process? Do I need to break the skins of prunes for drying? Is this a thing? So all these questions are beyond my pay grade. So I'm going to defer to Sacramento County Master Food Preserver, Wendy Rose. And Wendy, first of all, uh, some questions about the Master Food Preserver Program. It's, It's much like the Master Gardener Program, isn't it?
1: Yes, it's a extension program of the University of California, uh, University of California Agriculture and Natural Resources.
0: And it's a program that much like the Master Gardener program, you get trained in and then your goal is to go out and share that knowledge with others.
1: Right. Our mission is to teach. And so we learn how to do safe food preservation and then we go out into the community and teach. And even though, you know, during the pandemic, we couldn't get together for face to face events or um, classroom events, we switched to Zoom and we've been teaching online and we're still going
0: strong. All right. And and some of you are very advanced master food preservers, such as yourself, who uh, just got done judging the entries at the California State Fair. What were the, uh, the categories that you were judging?
1: So I judged all three days of the canning show. So the first day is is the jam show. The second day is jellies and fruits and tomatoes and soft spreads. And then the third day is the pickles and sauces and salsas.
0: What are the most popular entries as far as the type of fruit or vegetables that are entered?
1: Uh, so the first day is the jam show and all we judge are jams. So that is really the most popular entry. I think that's the way that most people start doing food preservation is that they get a hold of some fruit and they make some jam. Um Strawberry jam is very popular and ironically, it's not an easy jam to make well, but that's very, very common, especially in this area.
0: If you go back into the annals of the uh, Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter, you can find one that talks about uh, homemade raspberry jam, a freezer jam that uh, you might want to try out there. But let's deal with Mark's questions about dehydration. He, he mentions he has a dehydrator. He doesn't mention which brand. There are several brands out there, and it, it's almost like competing armies as far as uh, the favorites Now, I'm very partial to the Nesco Garden Master because it's stacked. The airflow goes up and it doesn't blow gentle herbs all over the place, unlike the Excalibur, which many people enjoy. But that blows the air from the back. Feel free to weigh in on this one, Wendy.
1: (laughs) I have three dehydrators, three electric dehydrators. One of them is an Excalibur, and I think that's my favorite. I like the square trays, and it, it just dries very efficiently. But I will say I do a lot of sun drying uh, during the summer because of where we live and the conditions are ideal for sun drying.
0: You got that right. We have low humidity and high heat. Welcome to Sacramento. And I noticed that on uh, your uh Twitter page you had posted a picture of sun-drying pepper slices bell pepper slices and I've never seen that before it never even occurred to me what do you do with dried pepper slices
1: I go to a u-pick and I'll I'll pick quite a quite a bunch of produce. And then um, the bell peppers specifically, I'll cut into small pieces and dehydrate them and then store them. And then, you know, in the in November, December, January, when I'm cooking chili or soups, I'll toss a handful in. And as long as there's enough liquid in the food that I'm cooking, they'll rehydrate and cook at the same time and add flavor and color.
0: Yeah, that's one thing about dehydration is uh, the rehydration, isn't it?
1: Right. Exactly. And that, and it's. I'm all about easy and this is super easy. I just do a big batch of peppers in the summertime and then um, store them. And a lot of times I'll just store them dried in the freezer and pull them out, you know, to throw
0: into different recipes. Can you slice them up and vacuum, vacuum seal them and put them in the freezer as well?
1: Yes, you can. You can.
0: All right. So vacuum sealing is a a good substitute if all you want to do is slice and freeze. Right. Exactly. All right. Now, I noticed your sun dryer that you use to dry the bell peppers. It it looks like a a, a perforated tray with a mosquito net around it.
1: So the photo that I posted in um, Twitter recently, I'm actually using my fish dryer, (laughs) um, which is a hanging unit. And it's really it's. Awesome. It's three levels. It's about a two by two square and it's collapsible. So it stores really easily. And then at the top, it's got a hook. So when it's fully expanded, there are three shelves in there and I can, and I, I typically will use my Excalibur um, trays in there and I'll hang it up on the porch and it's out of the sun, but it's still getting the air circulation. It's still getting the low humidity and then it will dry nice and gradually over the course of three or four days and um, I'm just that fish dryer is just awesome but I do not use it for fish
0: (laughs) all right so it's basically a a birdcage for food
1: exactly exactly super easy to use yeah
0: did you buy that or make that
1: actually the one I'm using right now is a gift and I believe it was it was gotten at a local Asian uh, grocery store
0: Oh, okay. So there you go. That's one. If you live in a, and that's key, isn't it? Uh, if you want to do sun drying, and we're we're slowly evolving into Mark's questions here. If you live in an environment where the daily humidity levels are below sixty percent, and the daytime temperatures are probably in the upper eighties or the nineties or beyond, you, you're probably good to go with sun drying.
1: Oh, yeah, it's ideal with those conditions.
0: Now, in the Bay Area where Mark lives, I'm not so sure that they have that low of a humidity or not.
1: Yeah, I looked the other day uh, for Santa Clara. I think that they were in the 50, 50 50%, percent, 50s. Yeah. In the Bay Area, I think you you have to look at the the weather forecast and see what the temperature is going to be and what the humidity is going to be. And then, you know, you really need a good maybe four or five days of cons- consistent conditions to be able to sun dry. But if it, if the conditions are right, then it's an ideal time to do it. And the nice thing about sun drying is really, there's no maximum capacity. You can pretty much dry as much as you can, you know, as much as you've got the screens or trays for.
0: What are some minimum requirements for sun drying? Now, obviously not all of us have a fish dryer. So if if people want to dry dry, uh, foods outside sun drying. What sort of trays do they need? What does the material look like? What, how important is air circulation?
1: So it depends on what they're trying to dry. So if you were trying to dry cherries, then obviously you'd need some sort of material where the, that the cherries wouldn't fall through. But if you had bigger pieces like, you know, slices of apple or pears, I've used baking cooling racks. Um, those work really well. I've got a set that actually stacks. So it's three levels of racks that you can, and so you can get a lot in a small space, but it just depends on what food you're, you're trying to dehydrate. If you're trying to do really small things, then it's better to use maybe a screen type material or a loose weave natural fabric or something like that to, just to make sure that the food doesn't drop through. But you can get these, you know, drying racks very easily at, at, you know, hobby stores, craft stores, and the ones that stack are great because they, like I said, they don't take, the footprint is small.
0: Do you need some sort of fan to blow that moisture off or is the environment windy enough to do it by itself?
1: Yeah, so you do want air circulation. You don't, when it's completely still, you'll still st- you'll still be dehydrating, but it might take longer. And then on the flip side, you don't want it to be super windy to the point where stuff is blowing off the trays or racks.
0: All right. You know, a good reference we should point out if people want more information about drying fruits and vegetables. I guess the University of Georgia Cooperative Extension Service is the uh, go-to site for information about preserving food, and they have a a, a great uh, pamphlet there on drying fruits and vegetables that you can check out.
1: The University of Georgia or the National
0: Center for Home Food Preservation. So getting back to Mark's questions about sun drying, obviously the maybe a drawback, it may not be, is, is the fact that it's going to take days as opposed to hours to dry.
1: Right. So once you set the, the fruit out, you want to make sure it's, it's prepared correctly and set the, the fruit out. You'll need to turn the fruit to make sure that it dries evenly. So that's something that you need to do at least, you know, once a day. I've seen recommendations for a couple times a day, but typically once a day is, is good. You just want to keep rotating it so it dries all over. And and it is it's its three to four days depending on the conditions um, and the fruit and how thick it is and how, how much moisture there is. But it's pretty easy to do. I mean, you just need to rotate it, of course, you know, across those days and then check after about three days. Just uh, do a check of the fruit. And typically dehydrated fruit is, it's pliable like leather, but it's not sticky. So that's the point at which you are, are basically, um, done and then there are a couple more steps after dehydrating conditioning and then a last step which um, sometimes it's called pasteurization but it what it really is getting rid of any last bits of maybe uh, insect eggs or anything like that is very easy um, and very satisfying
0: getting back to that pasteurization question of killing off the insect eggs and you do that after you've done the sun drying
1: Yeah, that's the very last step that you do. Um, The conditioning step is basically um, getting the residual moisture in the fruit to distribute across all the fruit and um, just making sure that if you've got a couple little areas of fruit that has some more moisture, it will distribute into the drier pieces. And then that last step of pasteurization, basically you put the fruit into, you know, even like a Ziploc bag or some sort of closed container, throw it in the freezer for 48 hours. And then if there are any little last buggies in
0: there, that will get rid of them. Can you do that same process in the oven for a short period of time?
1: Yeah, you can do it in the oven and it takes about 15 minutes. It's at a low temperature.
0: At uh, what, 160?
1: I think it's 175.
0: 175. And that won't uh, dehydrate uh, the fruit any more than it should be?
1: That's why I prefer doing it in the freezer. Good. um, Because I can just throw it in the freezer and 48 hours later take it out. I don't have to turn on the oven during the summer. Mm.
0: I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this podcast. My criteria, though, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, and a product I would buy again. And you know who checks all those boxes? It's SmartPots. SmartPots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. SmartPots are sold around the world, and they're proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors and can be reused year after year. Some models even have handles, and that makes them a lot easier to move around the yard. Because the fabric breathes, Smart Pots are better suited than plastic pots, especially for hot climates. That breathable fabric has other benefits, too. Water drainage issues? Not with Smart Pots. Roots that go round and round, choking the root ball like they do in plastic pots? Doesn't happen with Smart Pots. These benefits will help you get a bigger, better plant than what you've gotten in the past with the same size plastic or other hard container. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers as well as select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com slash fred. And don't forget that slash fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your SmartPot order by using the coupon code FRED. F-R-E-D. Use it at checkout from the SmartPot store. Visit smartpots.com slash FRED for more information about the complete line of SmartPot's lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount. SmartPots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com/slash Fred. Let's get back to our conversation with Master Food Preserver Wendy Rose about dehydration techniques for fruits and vegetables. One of the messier processes in, in food preservation when it comes to cherries, and you mentioned uh, sun-drying cherries, is the pitting of the cherries. Uh, the kitchen ends up looking like a bloody mess uh, <laughs> after an hour or two with the uh, cherry pitter. Do you have to remove the pit when it comes to drying, either uh, in, in an electric dehydrator or sun-drying?
1: Yeah, for doing it at home, it's recommended that you take the pits out. It will help the fruit dry more evenly. Um, it'll make sure that the, the fruit is dry in the middle. You know, you would pit the cherries and then you'd have a cavity in there and the, and the moisture can come out through that cavity. So, you know, it's true for um, the stone fruits, apricots, plums, all of those. When you're doing it at home, it's recommended that you take the pits out.
0: And the size of the piece that is being dehydrated, can you dehydrate whole fruits or do they- they need to be sliced in fairly even slices.
1: You can dehydrate whole fruits. I, I think the conditions really need to be good for that. You you need to make sure that it gets dehydrated all the way to the middle. It's uh, easier to have a good result when you cut the fruit into pieces, and you want to make sure that you cut them into very consistent sizes so that they all dry at the same rate.
0: Yes, in our experience. Uh With the Garden Master dehydrator, you know, sometimes when you're just slicing, yeah, you end up with some that are a little bit thicker than others. So you tend to group the similar sized ones together on the same trays and then uh, rotate them as need be to get the drying process uh, finished. All right. Now, Mark has also talked about breaking the skin for prunes for drying. Is this a thing? I went online to see about uh, breaking the skin for prunes and i find it interesting and this is always a red flag uh, when i'm doing internet searches that the wording for breaking the skin for prunes was all worded the same it's like somebody wrote something originally and a lot of other people <laughs> copied it
1: yeah so um i think technically they call it cracking it or um checking the skins um and that's for fruit that has skins that are maybe a little bit thick Grapes, prunes, plums, cherries, figs, um, and some berries. And so basically you can do a blanching process really quickly, um, and you blanch them and, and then quickly go into cold water and that will crack. The skin so that the air can get in and the moisture can get out.
0: Explain the process of blanching for those of us who don't spend much time in the kitchen.
1: So basically, you'd have, uh, you'd boil a pot of water and then you'd put the fruit into, you know, maybe a um, pasta pot that has holes in it or something like that. You can also simply spoon the fruit into the boiling water and it's 30 to 60 seconds. You get the fruit out of that hot water and into um, an ice water bath, you know. bowl with ice and water, throw the fruit into that, that temperature difference between the boiling and the freezing causes the skins to crack.
0: You had mentioned when talking about sun drying that you do have to flip the fruit around skin side down, skin side up. Do you have to also flip it when it's in a dehydrator inside the house?
1: It's a good thing to do just to try to make sure that you get consistent drying. It also helps to uh, prevent the fruit from sticking to the trays. So if you flip, you know, after a couple hours of sun drying, it'll help the fruit to not stick.
0: Mark also had the question about what fruit can be dried and do the varieties within the fruit type matter? And my thought would be, well, it depends on the size of the fruit, I guess.
1: Yeah, most fruit can be sun-dried. Within the varieties, you would have maybe differences in the amount of moisture and possibly the amount of sugar, but that would basically then just drive the amount of time that you sun-dry. So you can do different varieties, and it helps to kind of experiment, I think, um, just to see the varieties that you have and how um, how quickly they
0: dry. If you are using a dehydrator, and you just uh, brought up a very interesting question, what sort of preparation? is necessary for the fruit. Do you need to add anything to the fruit in order to get it to dehydrate evenly?
1: Yes. So the the process is you basically want to buy or pick your your fruit, um, make sure it's ripe and it's fresh. Um, You want to wash it, but don't soak it. And then you can choose to peel or not peel depending on how, you know, how you want the end result to be. And you want to remove the pits. If you're cutting the fruit, you want to make sure the pieces are consistent size uh, and keep in mind that thinner slices and smaller piece or pieces dry more quickly. And then you want to pre-treat the fruit. And what the pre-treating does is it, it helps to get rid of any microbes that are or microorganisms that are on the fruit. It also helps to inactivate enzymes. And the enzymes are the things that make, that, that will darken the fruit. So, So you want to pretreat. There are several ways you can do it. You can do ascorbic acid, uh, which is vitamin C. You can do citric acid. Uh, Lemon juice works. And then there's there used to people used to do sulfur. They used to sulfur their fruit when they were drying it. And that's kind of fallen out of favor. But what you can do now is a sulfite dip. um, And there's something called sodium metabisulfite that you can get and i've seen it in amazon and some people use that um with good um results um but you do have to make sure that you are not allergic to sulfur products but you have a you know you have several choices in terms of how you want to pretreat the fruit to make sure that that the end result is going to be the color's going to be good and you're going to have reduced the microbial um count in the fruit
0: and what happens if you don't pretreat it other than discoloration
1: Unfortunately, fruit, you know, being a a food that grows near soil, there are microorganisms that like salmonella, E. coli, and listeria that can get on the fruit, the process of drying will help to reduce those. They want water to be able to grow and reproduce, and so when you dehydrate, it reduces the amount of water, but they still can be on the fruit. The pre-treating really helps to reduce that, and then also, I mean, it depends on whether you want the color of the fruit to be true to closer to when it's fresh. When you do apricots at home, typically they're darker if you don't you know if you don't sulfur but if you're okay with the darker colors uh, then you then that's not really an issue but you do want to reduce the possibility that there are any you know little buggies on the fruit
0: one motto that we use on this show a lot is you grew it now eat it and that's where dehydration and other food preservation methods come into play in all the varieties of fruits and vegetables that you've dried or preserved over the years, Wendy, what uh, are the favorites? What gets eaten? The quickest.
1: <laughs> I love dehydrating tomatoes. Uh, I love to put dehydrated tomatoes on salads. That's I, I'm just a massive tomato lover. I do also enjoy dehydrating eggplant.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, that's been, a, that's been really awesome. When I rehydrate it, then I can turn it into different things. And then the bell peppers have, and, and peppers in general, I've dehydrated jalapenos. Good result. And so, I enjoy making pasta sauce with my dehydrated vegetables. Um, I also will dehydrate pears, and those turn out really nicely. And that those are really awesome snacks uh, when we go hiking and things like that.
0: Yeah. You know, one of my favorites, and I'm looking forward to it because the tree is loaded right now, and I can't wait for October, is the Fuyu Persimmon which is a very meaty, not that much of a juicy type of fruit. But in a dehydrator, it, it just goes so easily, and uh, those get munched the quickest throughout the winter. Any uh, advice for drying persimmons?
1: I think the one thing that I I found uh in dehydrating persimmons was that I over dehydrated them and that was pretty easy to do because it's not a a real juicy fruit. So it's it's you know just keeping an eye as the dehydrating goes along checking every, you know, few hours or so just to make sure that they're not getting over dehydrated.
0: Good advice there. Mark's uh, final question is about prunes. And he says he remembers that commercial prunes are dehydrated to low moisture levels and then rehydrated to optimal moisture levels. Is this something I should consider doing? He asks,
1: I don't have a recommendation for rehydrating home dried prunes. There are processes that the commercial dried fruit um, producers use. Um, I know one of them is they'll coat the dried fruit with safflower oil, but we don't recommend that for people dehydrating food at home um, just because they have commercial equipment and commercial processes. And, you know, at home we have dehydrators in the sun. So um, I don't have a recommendation for rehydrating home dried prunes.
0: For those wondering... Yes, prunes are plums. They're a European plum, whereas the Japanese plum uh, can be eaten fresh, like the uh, world-famous Santa Rosa plum. Uh, But European plums, also known as prunes when they're dried, and there are a lot of great varieties out there. Uh, Prunes get a bad rap. Even the California Prune Association changed their name uh, back in the year 2000 to the California Dried Plum Association. But there was such an, an uproar from the uh, prune growers that they changed their name back to the California prune association. Did uh, you have anything else prepared that you want to uh, get into?
1: So in terms of pros and cons of sun drying pros, it's it's very low cost. It doesn't require electricity. Um, you can, you know, do as much as you have racks or trays for. You can do as much as, as you want to do, as much as, you know, fruit that you have. You don't need a lot of equipment. You don't need fancy equipment. And it's just really easy to do. And this is actually a really good project for kids um, because of that. Um, in terms of cons, it does require attention to temperature, humidity, and air circulation. So you do need to check the weather forecast. And it takes longer than an electric dehydrator. So you're looking at, you know, three to five days. Uh, You need to protect the fruit from insects and predators. In the Sacramento Valley, it's so dry here, even at night, that I really don't bring anything in at night. It's recommended, but the the humidity doesn't really go up that much. In the Bay Area, um, because of the marine effect, I recommend that people bring their trays inside, you know, bring them into the garage overnight so that you don't get dew or any sort of condensation from from the evening temperatures.
0: Electric dehydrators, uh, obviously, quickness is a big benefit to those. Uh, What about dependability and maintenance?
1: Yeah, I mean, it just depends on the dehydrator that you have. Um, the downside to the de- dehydrators, at least at my house, is that it makes a lot of noise. And then also whatever I'm dehydrating, we can smell throughout the house, but it is very, very efficient. Um, and I've, I've taken the dehydrator out onto the patio and plugged it in, and that works too. I have been warned by master food preservers not to dehydrate onions in the house. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, the fragrance of that is like uh, BO. So there's my tip.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right about the noise of dehydrators, uh, which is why in our place, the garage is a very popular place to do dehydration.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a great place to do
0: it. As long as you remember. But but the the good part about uh, modern dehydrators is they're on a timer. So they're going to turn off before they get over-dried.
1: As long as you set the timer to the right amount of time,
0: right, and, and you- a lot
1: of times you don't exactly know what the time should be, so that's why you check it. Period. Check the fruit periodically or the food periodically to see how it's progressing.
0: That's where uh, sticky pieces of paper come in handy that you put on every door to remind you to go to the room where the dehydrator is and check the fruit. <laughs> yeah. And, yes. and you're always taking a risk if you decide to do a load of fruit in the dehydrator before you go to bed. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because you never know what it's going to look like in the morning. So uh, anyway, that's the uh, lessons learned the hard way there. But Mark, I, boy, you've got a great uh, selection of fruit varieties in your uh, home orchard. And for anybody who either buys fruit or grows fruit. Dehydration is a great way to save the excess. And think about that in your garden, as Wendy's been talking about. If you have too many tomatoes, too many peppers, too much zucchini, can you dry zucchini? Oh, yeah. I've done it. All right. So there you go. Just solved all your problems, folks. (laughs) All right.
1: What's really nice about
0: dehydrating
1: is that the dehydrated food will last a long time if it's properly stored.
0: Yeah. How long will it last?
1: You can go, you know, years um, if it's properly dehydrated and properly stored.
0: And if you're making it for gifts, what are some precautions to take?
1: I would make sure that um, depending on what pre-treating option you're using, I would make sure that the people you're giving things to, that they don't have allergies to anything that you're Mm. using.
0: All right. And, And hopefully they will eat it. Right. Because nothing is more disconcerting to a gardener who has gone to the trouble of drying fruits or preserving homegrown goodies for relatives only to go over to their house at Thanksgiving three years later and see that same bottle sitting on their shelf.
1: Sometimes what's helpful is if you include a recipe for how to use the food, then they've got kind of a direction in terms of, you know, if you're giving dried persimmons, then maybe have a recipe that you give them for, you know, rehydrating and using the persimmons in a persimmon bread or something like that, that helps them understand how to use it.
0: I think I would just put a note on it that would say, Pour into a tray and snack on it. Yes. (laughs) All right. We learned a lot about uh, food dehydration, fruit dehydration. Wendy Rose is on Twitter as at Canning And you can see some uh, interesting uh, things there. Uh, by the way, speaking of that, uh, you posted a picture of some tomatoes that you've uh, recently acquired. I don't know if you grew them or you bought them, but there are some interesting varieties that I have never seen before. What were those pictures of tomatoes that you posted there on Twitter?
1: That was the um, what I picked yesterday morning. So I have four different types of tomatoes growing I've got a small tomato garden this year that's kind of an experiment for me. But I've got Brandywine in there, which is an heirloom. I have a yellow, or I think it's actually called a white tomato, and that was a free seed from Baker Creek. And then I've got some cherry tomatoes, and I've got some paste tomatoes out there. And so I had picked um, a few. I usually pick in the morning and pick
0: at the end of the day. Yeah, those uh, pleated white yellow tomatoes in the picture intrigued me. It's sort of like a Zapotec pleated, except they're kind of a whitish yellow.
1: Yeah, and I was, just, I did it as an experiment, but the flavor's pretty good. I mean, it really tastes like a tomato. The white color has made it a little bit interesting in terms of knowing when to pick the tomato, but the flavor's good.
0: And so I guess to determine when a white or yellowish tomato is ripe, is you just kind of squeeze it to see if it has any give to it?
1: Exactly. Exactly. I I would just push on it a little bit to see if it gives. They're very, very hard. And then all of a sudden they get ripe. So I have to kind of test them
0: each day. In California, there are extensive county programs that include master food preservers along with master gardeners in other states. There are other master food preservers programs as well, and check with them if you need advice on canning. That's always a good local go-to source if you can find a local master food preserver group. And of course, uh, we mentioned the University of Georgia location uh, for the National Center for Home Food Preservation at the University of Georgia that you can check out. They have extensive information on preserving your homegrown fruits and vegetables. Wendy Rose Rose, we learned a lot today. Thanks for helping save the harvest. Thank you. That was awesome. If you're an organic gardener, especially a strict organic gardener, have you ever wondered, is chicken manure fertilizer really organic? Yes, the USDA and many state regulating agencies have okayed chicken manure as an organic fertilizer, and that's been true for decades. However, in the past 20 years or so, the majority of corn and soybean grown in the United States has evolved. It's now grown from genetically engineered seed for a variety of reasons— The GE source corn and soybean harvest makes up the bulk of what's fed to the nation's commercial chicken flocks, and that end product literally becomes fertilizer. Should GE manure be considered organic? And we will also explain the difference between genetically engineered and a genetically modified organism, a GMO. And there's a difference, a big difference. It's in the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter out Friday, August 5th. Find a link to it in today's show notes or visit our website, GardenBasics.net. That's where you can sign up to have the free Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter delivered to your inbox each Friday. Also at GardenBasics.net, you can listen to any of our previous editions of the podcast as well as read a transcript of the podcast episode you're listening to now. That's at GardenBasics.net. For current subscribers, look for the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter on Friday, August 5th in your email. Take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter, and it's free. Find the link at GardenBasics.net. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by SmartPots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, GardenBasics.net, and that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.